0: Hi, this is Jean Nathan, it is Crosstown Conversations. And um, we as always have some very interesting and informative guests. Um, So I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, Some of them are fun and some of them have just really important information to share. We've done about, I don't know, close to 3000 interviews now over the years. And I think um, people tend to appreciate the, the information you're getting from us. So here goes for today. All right, Michael.
1: So How
0: are you? For, I'm, I'm. We are recorded. Good. Um, yeah. Well, it's an interesting time, isn't it?
1: Uh, um, that that is an understatement.
0: I, I don't think I've ever in my entire life, except maybe when I first graduated from college. Not even then. Uh, uh, was surrounded with so much uncertainty because it's one Absolutely. thing to be uncertain about your own life, but when you're uncertain about your everybody's lives and your city and your country and the world, that's a lot of uncertainty. The
1: big thing is the world. I mean, we've all dealt with, you know, whether it's nine eleven or or Katrina or right. or BP or or oh, two thousand eight yeah. meltdown, but this isn't. This is the yeah. entire world. Oh. And, and then, then you throw on top of that, you know, uh, protests and politics and social,
0: protest, social upheaval, really. Yeah. And, uh, um, and a, then a, the, all the protests. global
1: warming related events. It's pretty, you know, it's. It's crazy. It's,
0: it's something special. Somebody out there somewhere in the universe must know something because anyway.
1: Yeah, um, unfortunately, everybody wants to go, well, you know, when 2020 is over, we'll get back to normal. This is not gonna be date driven. No. Hopefully no. after November the uh, 3rd, whatever it is, we'll have some modest direction.
0: Well, actually, that's that's not a bad place in a way for us to start our discussion. First of all, would you tell um, our audience um, who you are?
1: Uh, my uh, name is Mike Siegel. I am my day job is president of corporate realty. We are a locally based real estate management, leasing, and brokerage company. We our reach is kind of uh, the Gulf. South, we focus on office buildings and retail and investment properties. We've been around around 30 years um, and we work hard at what we do. But my my other job is as Gene knows, as I've been involved uh, on various boards around the city, around the arts for the last 30 years and, and passionate about that part also and including food and other things, you know, life's too short to just work and not enjoy everything else and all those other things are what make life Worth living, so you know. I, I would like to think I approach both my work and my extracurricular stuff with the same level of passion. So that's
0: so, why. So so that's why um, that's why I'm interviewing you because of that um, passion and uh, the way you have conjoined the real estate universe and work that you do uh, with um, uh, the arts and and. The arts for, for me, I, I define it very widely because I'm focused on something called the creative industries, which goes well beyond performing visual arts and media arts and design and culinary and literary and and tech even. So, um, yes. and engineering for that matter and, and um, uh, construction um, have a role to play in uh, the creative industry. So, um, And and we're faced in New Orleans with uh, definitely a period, not only of pandemic and social unrest, but also change. There is little doubt that we are going to uh, go through changes during this time and come out someplace. So when we talk about return to normal, of course, everybody's agreeing that's not really what's gonna happen. There's going to be some kind of new normalcy that will be um, hopefully uh, productive for our very unique city that will enable us to continue to grow this this unusually um, uh, original culture that both has a legacy, but also has an innovative um, quality constantly. We're always inventing something new. We we The past is not past in New Orleans. It's a part of our present, but we also are always doing things new. So tell me how you perceive, how you and the folks in your real estate universe perceive what is going on to the extent that you have been able to frame it. And um, talk to me about how you see the role of the creative industries um, in that in, in your universe, uh, you know, how do the two interface and what's the intercession and, and what's gonna happen?
1: Well, you know, big question. If, if I really had the answers to those questions, I wouldn't be talking to you. Yeah, you know, I'd be <laughs> out there figuring out how to, you know, do something unbelievable. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, th- these are, as we said at the beginning, kind of unprecedented times and how we're gonna come out of it. There, there are a lot of guesses. I, I will tell you this, you know, It really is a mess right now, but if you think about what individually we've lived through, the cities lived through, the countries lived through, the world lived through, there's going to be another side of this. I mean, and I'm not that old, but whether you go back to the depression or world wars or 9-11s or whatever, you know, when you're in the middle of it, you don't know what the other side's going to look like, and you kind of have to just deal, put one foot in front of the next but all of those things you come out of and there's another side and it's really how you react to those things I think what's made this more difficult than a lot of things we faced in New Orleans before we're we're still in the middle of it it's not an event where there's a a a clear start and a clear finish you know we don't know if we're a quarter of the way through it or halfway through it or toward the end So, you know, I don't think, you know, and I I compare rightly or wrongly to to Katrina for us. You know, Katrina, it was an event, and after a few weeks or maybe a month or so after everybody realized we're going to be here, you figured out the path forward. We're not to the other side yet to even know what that path forward is. I guess all I'm telling you, you know, I think New Orleans and, and, and the business community here in the city, you know, is going to come out of it and I actually think we have an opportunity to come out of it pretty well because I think you know what New Orleans to me at its core sells and what makes it what it is is its authenticity and you know I don't view that as just kind of as as, you know like just to throw it out there. I think we truly are authentic and I think in this post craziness people are gonna, that's what people want is authenticity. So I think New Orleans will do well. Um, we've just got to get to the other side and, 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 you know, figure out, you know, what, what the new normal is gonna be. The arts for, for, have to be part of it. I mean, it just has to be. And New Orleans at its core is, is inextricably tied to the arts. And as you described, Gene, not arts as in art and painting or even art music, but whether it's visual arts or performing arts or culinary arts or, or, or architect, architecture, you know, that's at the core of what this city is. And that's why people come here for the arts. Now, maybe not in the traditional, like all the nice things behind you art, but that's what it is. And I think the trick is what you've been working on for years, what we all have to figure is, you know, how to weave that into the, road, into the reinvention and, and into the recovery. And it's always been difficult. I think it gets more difficult when you have such, we're going to have such basic services and, and core services we have to deal with and the arts are going to continue to be, you know, not the primary focus. And I mean, that's just being honest. That's I think that's gonna be the difficulty.
0: Yeah, so actually that was the question I was gonna ask. I mean, I, I know you know my persuasion that I believe the creative industries is being treated like oil left in the ground, that we're not investing in it and developing it uh, in a way that um, would give us the opportunities that it could yield for us if we yep. really did treat it as an important economic development sector. Do you think there's any chance that during this time of really trying to figure out how do we remake ourselves and and how do we um grow an economy to um create jobs again for people who are jobless right now or um you know be able to put people back in their homes who are getting evicted as we speak do you think there's a chance that we this is an opportunity, a moment when maybe we can finally recognize the core economic development value of the creative industries?
1: Well, I think it, it's possible, but it, it is gonna take a very concerted, focused, proactive, intentional effort. Because, you know, when you, as important as the arts, Are and I do put them. You know, they are critical when you talk about people getting evicted from their houses and healthcare. There's a couple. You know, and you look at philanthropic dollars that the arts need, and you look at governmental support, whether it's city, state, federal. You know that that the the arts need. I have to be realistic and say, well, there's there's going to be a lot of mouths to feed coming out of this. And the arts are going to be one of those mouths. And to think that the arts are going to take precedent over some of the basic essentials of healthcare and people having a roof over their heads and, you know, just core services. You know, I don't think we're gonna all of a sudden go from being in third place or 10th place or wherever we were to the, to the top of the list. I think that's, it's, it's a nice thought. I could probably say maybe it would be beneficial because it would people put people back to work, but I don't think that's it. I think we need to just make sure we are, we meaning the arts are in a position to be there and make our case for why we at least deserve our fair share. And then again, I'm just, you and I having an, a conversation, you know, it'd be nice to think that, well, you know, th- this upheaval is going to all of a sudden have everybody realize that the arts are more important than X, Y, and Z. I think that's going to be um, a difficult argument to win. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be fighting it. What we do need to do, though, is not expect anything to come our way easily and we need to do what you're doing is reminding the philanthropic community and the business community and the political, uh, communities, how important the arts are. And at least we get our fair share because, you know, to to what you've worked on for years, I mean, you know, there is a return on investment in investing in the arts. Some of it is direct, some of it's indirect, But if you look at anything that New Orleans does when it's trying to attract companies, when it's trying to attract visitors, tourists, whatever, we sell our culture. We sell our lifestyle. And I don't see how you do that without recognizing that the arts are core to those sales pitches, if you will. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. I I, I do feel that... um, We underestimate the uh, economic engine of the arts, which is different from saying that it's an important part of our lifestyle. Arts has been recognized as an important part of lifestyle since the beginning of time. But um, as of around the 70s, really a a lot of cities started recognizing as a result of analysis and, and research that it actually drove economic activity. I remember a study that was done in New York. I I worked, I went to work in New York for the mayor in 1990 when the city was in the nadir of the impact of the 88 crash, right? Lots of empty real estate in lower Manhattan, for example and just uh, the city was, they were were wringing their hands as much as we ever do. And um, there was a study done by NYU uh, business um, program there. Um, that asked people why they came to the city and why they stayed in the city, meaning commercial entities. Yeah. And the answer was culture, but not just from the standpoint of being able to go to a museum or, a, or, a, or the theater, but because of the uh, talent that's important in, in growing the industries. So, especially like the financial uh, industries, they need good marketing folks and and marketing folks are actually creative industries people so it turned out that study said that the top two reasons a company comes to or stays in New York was one where the CEO lives (laughs) if he lives in Connecticut um, that company's at risk Uh, but two the creative resources of the city. So that's when I became yeah. ever more passionate about the arts as economic development as opposed to just uh, on its own. So, and I'm just saying that at a time when we have discovered and, and every community goes through this, discovers if, if you're a monoculture, basically if you're a mono economy and you're dependent on, let's say hospitality in our case or, or petrochemical, and all of a sudden that industry crashes for some reason, suddenly you realize, oh, gee, maybe we should have been putting our dollars there too, somewhere else too. So is this a time when we can maybe, as you said, be incredibly intentional and and, uh, resourceful in in trying to figure out how do we look at this as another avenue for economic development that might not crash at the very same time that hospitality crashes?
1: But let me ask you. I mean, I'm a, a an question. I shouldn't be doing that because
0: that's not the purpose of our interview. But well, let uh,
1: me ask you a question. So, what what would that look like to you? Where how does that happen? I mean, it, does that mean more money supporting the crave industries from government sources? Does that mean uh, is that more philanthropic support? Is that tax credit? I don't. What is it? If uh, if you I, could I actually, if you could ask for something and get what you wanted. Not in a in a big, broad, you know, more support for the uh, for the, those industries. What exactly is that?
0: So all of the things that you mentioned are uh, strategies that have been used by other cities. And um, the key strategy that in the research I've done so far, and we are just now at the dawn of a major strategic planning initiative in this city to, identify the best strategies for us. But in many cities, a coalition of the cross sector coalition of people getting together and agreeing, okay, this is how we're gonna go after it. That's number one is literally right. having um, a, a joint commitment. Um, secondly, tax credits, yes, they have been proven to work for us in the film industry yep. um, uh, in I always give this example because it's so mind boggling and I don't know where they are with us right now, but uh, St. Louis, Missouri, a couple of years ago when we did uh, a stab at what were other cities doing, they passed a millage for the arts. Guess how much money it generates a year? Just take a while
1: guess. Uh, no, I did 10 million, 20, 40, 20, 40 million. Yeah.
0: Million dollars. So we we are. Uh, I think we were a couple of years ago. I don't know where we are right now. Twenty sixth in the country in terms of arts um, funding. What they basically use the money for is to let everybody go everywhere free. So they um, they take that burden off arts institutions so they can work uh, use that money in other ways to build what they do. But. Um, so yes, um, a millage, tax millages—that's um, another way. the The issue is to find new revenue sources for both support as well as investment, and treating and treating again, treating the creator industries as economic development. So what does that mean? That means literally uh, investing the same way we're treating water, petrochemical. We need to be thinking about how do you treat the creative industries that way but yeah, I, I, I i'm i'm playing a little bit too much of an advocate role in this no, no, i,
1: I asked you that I, yeah
0: but um what i i, I want to ask you this i want to understand better because it's so hard to understand and it's back to that the, the beginning of our discussion where we said the uncertainty is phenomenal i'm so confused on the one hand we are selling property residential, at any rate, I don't, don't know as much about commercial, you can inform me on that. Um, at higher prices than we were before COVID, that, at least that's what I've seen some reports say, Yeah. at the same time that we're selling less property, um, we're looking at our core industry being flat on its back at the moment, and we're faced with um, realities about climate change that I think finally are penetrating even the, the biggest climate deniers. You, you can't look at flooding and fires and uh, and one tornado, one um, uh, tropical storm after another, and not think, wow, what's going on here?
1: Not so, everybody believes it.
0: No, I, I definitely not. But I think a few more people have uh, I've said, oh, wow, what is going on? So um, with all of that, um how come our property prices are going up and um, is that is that a momentary blip because of interest rates or is that something that's going to continue uh, give, try to explain to me a little bit about the pricing of real estate or, is that, or is that look,
1: there, there are a couple of things first of all I mean these are you know I, I can't give you statistics but I'll give you my opinion of why certain things are where they are um, the people that, had money, still have money. And unfortunately, what COVID and some of the other things going on have exposed or weaknesses that were already in the system. So if you, have, if you had money before, you're gonna have money now. The properties that are selling it at historic highs, the residential properties, not completely, but you know, to a large extent are in the better neighborhoods. And those people have money and interest rates are low. And I think it is making residential real estate very attractive. Now, if you don't have money and you're not in the, in the right neighborhoods, you're probably on the other end of the equation. So I don't think it's across the board that every property and every market has gone up. But if, you know, in New Orleans, if you live in the sliver, you know, <laughs> the sliver by the river, you know, those, pro- sl- those property values are it's crazy. I mean, properties go on the market for a day and and they're sold, and and it's good. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the commercial is a different animal because it's not just where people live. I mean, you've got to have income to support it. You've got to have tenants to occupy it. And you know, there is uber Ooh. uncertainty around what's going to happen there. Again, I am not pessimistic at all about where we will be long term and maybe even mid term. But short term, there's uncertainty, and and I don't I don't really think rents have gone down considerably, but demand has gone down considerably and considerably. And I think rents will come down afterward, but I think we'll come back out of it. So, you know, on, on residential, it's where people live. And, you know, people aren't just moving out of town or closing up shop and, and you know, not living here. So, and, and I also think it's really pretty interesting. You think how much time everybody's spending at their homes the last six or eight months, I think there's some nesting and, you know, all right, I'm going to be here. I'm going to spend more money on my house. I got to be here and work at my house a little bit, or maybe I'm going to go back to my office, but, you know, I want to live where I want to live. So I think it's been probably good overall for residential values. There is no way you can suggest it's been good for commercial values. I think, you know, if you look at commercial real estate, uh, there's a lot of different pieces and parts of it, but if you kind of look at the tip of the spear, hospitality and retail have, Hospitality has been annihilated. Retail is not far behind. Um, the office market is not doing well, but it hadn't been impacted quite as bad. And apartments are doing well and, and, and industrial is doing well. So, you know, it, it, there's a little bit of a disconnect in the overall economy uh, between, you know, how well certain aspects of the economy are doing and certain how not how badly other areas are doing. And it's kind of the haves and have nots to tell you the truth. You know, that this has just exposed a lot, of, a lot of that. But look, one thing we talked about before, I'll, I'll go back to, I mean, the arts do drive development and do drive, it have a significant impact on real estate values. And the best example of that in New Orleans is what the CAC did. Contemporary Art Center did to the warehouse district. I mean, when the CAC moved into the K&B building, the K&B warehouse, it was warehouse, Skid Row. It
0: was Skid Row. It, it was
1: Skid Row. Now, I,
0: people, just, it,
1: it it did not singly change that neighborhood, but it was the first first commitment down there, and it was the catalyst, I believe, for the redevelopment and the development of the entire warehouse district in the arts district and you know if the CAC hadn't have gone down there maybe it would have happened eventually anyway you don't know but it it you put an 80,000 square foot building and you put into the commerce focusing on the arts and people wanted to live down there a little bit and then the world's fair came down and then julia street got developed so you know the arts have an ability to begin to change neighborhoods attract visitors, attract residents, attract other businesses. So I, I don't I don't discount at all the economic impact of the arts. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's just hard to measure. Sometimes it's easy to look back at it and see how it happened, but it's a little bit harder pitch. I'm, I know that's what you do and try to do is quantify the tangible benefits the economic benefits of the arts, the creative industries. I, I really do Sometimes
0: it takes uh, a, a really profound realization of how bad shape we're in and <laughs> um, and, and then realizing that we, we had better figure out how to work together.
1: It does, I mean, it takes something really bad to happen. And this is about, know, is there's worse things that can happen, but it's, you know, we're in pretty tough dealing with this for the last six or eight months and probably for the next six or eight months or longer might be a wake up call to everybody that, you know, we, we are much stronger as a, a uh, cohesive nation than, you know, a bunch of people thinking their they're, they're way is the only way. Um,
0: well, what are, you, what are you hearing from people in your industry and other parts of the country? Do you talk um, about folks in, in the real estate world? Outside it's of all country.
1: over the place because, I mean, you know, if you're sitting in New York City, it, it's a whole different world. Or if you're They're sitting, worried
0: about whether they're going to have an office market.
1: Right. I mean, and, and it's, it, they're a lot more shut down in certain respects than we are. California, I mean, is absolutely shut down. But, you know, it's, I mean, everybody's still doing business. I mean, I t- I'm, you know, it, it, it hasn't ground to a halt. I think most everybody believes, you know, what we've got to do is get up in the morning, come to work, put one foot in front of the next and keep working on things that we can work on. And, you know, if you have transactions, if you have requirements, if you have things you have to deal with, you just keep doing them. You know, I don't see I don't people I deal with are not, you know, woe is me you know, the world is over, how are we gonna deal with this? Let's just, you know, it's a pretty, you know, you have to have, to be in real estate, I think you have to have a little bit of optimism. Just a little. You know, I mean, if not, what are you, why are you doing it? So I think, you know, everybody's out there, they're trying to do the right thing. But, you know, some people, our market really is, you know, hard for us to impact what happens elsewhere in the world if you're sitting in Chicago or Dallas or New York, you're probably dealing with more broad based issues. I will tell you, there are people looking at New Orleans as an opportunity now, you know? So, you know, honestly- Why, they're, why, they're, why? Because I think they I think people are nervous about the bigger markets, the barriers to entry, the cost to get into those markets is so high. You know, New Orleans still seems like a bit of a bargain it's a place where people want to live and, and, you know, it's got the things that it's always had. I mean, people want to be here. And, and I think people see an opportunity to come down here and maybe not have quite the level of competition for deals and for investment opportunities they do in, in, in the major East coast and West coast markets. Um, You know, and we're involved with things either directly or on the periphery that are, you know, projects that are three and five and 10 years out so you know it back to the beginning you kind of got to just have to get up and keep moving forward and that's what i think the real estate industry pretty good about i mean you can't just wait for things to come your way and you know everybody can deal with it a little bit differently and and real estate industry like i said before industrial is one thing apartments is one thing and retail and restaurants i mean So you can't lump it all together you can't lump the whole country together every city together every industry together um you know just keep plugging
0: michael what's the most innovative project strategy business you've heard about in the past few months there are innovative things happening there are people trying to figure out how to use the online marketplace. You, you hear plenty of stories from people in the arts who can't perform live and, and, and can't be in a gallery, but they go online and it, they're not making up the difference, but they're they're expanding their market hugely.
1: Well, look, well, necessity is a mother of invention. I mean, look at what we're doing. We're having a Zoom interview. I've been doing business for the last six or eight months. I mean, it hadn't stopped. I'm working as hard as I've ever worked and, you know most of its zoom calls i mean one thing that's changed in real estate presentations you know used to be on a piece of paper then they were something you you just sent to somebody now we're we're showing people property with with drones and then that's not i wouldn't call that cutting edge i mean but i mean you know it's it's it's,
0: it's, it's, a it's change. changing
1: and you know we have to be adaptable and and the creative industries have to also i mean how My brother's a photographer in Atlanta, and he wasn't able to, he's a commercial photographer and a fine art photographer, and he wasn't able to have shows and wasn't able to do a lot of stuff on the commercial side, and he shot a bunch of really great photography and called it his COVID diaries. He quarantined basically for three months on his own in the town I'm from and put together 10 beautiful photographs and set up a series and only marketed it uh, online through Facebook I think and Instagram and sold it out so that's you know again it's a very little bitty piece
0: no but person, the thing is what's happening yeah. but
1: it's you know well I can't go shoot portraits I can't there's not advertising photography as much out there you know things are kind of slow I'm not going to have a gallery show so You know, he did a a 10 great photograph, put a series together and produced them one, I think it was once or twice a week for five or six or eight weeks. And, you know, then you could buy the series or buy them one at a time. And, you know, made a few little money and got his work out there. So, I mean, that's one person doing one thing, but, you know, the good part, I think from the creative industries, the nature of what it is, is creative. You know, I think that everybody hopefully is figuring out a way to survive, make a living, reinvent themselves. Yeah. I mean, we hadn't, you know, I don't think the repercussions of what's going on with COVID have been felt really. I mean, everybody you've had PPP money, you've had banks for, you know, providing some forbearance to some extent, and you don't have the huge vacancies that happened because of Katrina. Um, And, and there may be some, but right now, you know, I, I think it is um, a different kind of recovery because I think you're gonna have a lot of the same pieces and parts in place that you had before. And it's, it's how to restart things, not how to start all over necessarily. Okay, I, mean,
0: I, I wanna just, uh, one last question I have uh, and then I'm gonna let you go. Uh, do you think that the social unrest around the Black Lives Matter movement and the shootings of, people that have been uncovered essentially by virtue of videos. Um, Do you, do you think that that is reaching into the business world, corporate world, the real estate world to an extent that there it's going to result in any kind of new policies regarding social issues?
1: Yes, I really do. I think, you know, when you see it, when you see the attention that it's gotten from every major corporation, from every major sports franchise. I don't think that this is a um, a short term reaction. I think it is a knee jerk reaction, but I think it is going to have long lasting implications. Now, I don't think that means there's a quick fix. I think the social justice issues that exist were, were created over 400 years. And I think it will take you know, a concerted effort for a long time to, to fix them. But I think absolutely, you know, it, it's just, there's a moment that's taken place now. And I think that the, the attention is unparalleled. And I don't think it will just dissipate, you know, and all right, what's, what's the next, the, you know, the issue du jour. I think this is, this has permeated every, company, nothing to do with the arts, whether it's certainly the arts, but, you know, whether it's a bank or, or a shoe company or the NFL or, you know, or a local, local company. So it's, it, you know, we, we will, uh, it's kind of about time, but I think it's something that we'll, we'll see changes over, you know, I think this will continue.
0: Mike Siegel, Corporate Realty, um, thank you so much for what you do in general for the city, but also very specifically um, for the creative industries and all the help you've given the Contemporary Arts Center and the Arts District over the years. Keep on, and um, thank you so much for your time. My uh, pleasure. Share with me anything I should know about as we go forward. (laughs) Take care. We have with us today Michelle Varisco, who is one of the more um lots of artists today are dealing with current issues including our rampaging at this point climate change but she has been intentionally focused on this for quite a while and um has a show presently at good children gallery which is one of the really interesting galleries in town on St. Claude Avenue that is titled The Last Days of Now. (laughs) Uh, And there is nothing simple and straightforward in in the description of this show. She has done jointly with Julie Dermansky. So um, let's start with, uh, please tell me, about the roots of your concern with climate change, and then you can segue right into how this particular show has taken that forward.
2: Sure, um, well, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I, I guess Hurricane Katrina was my shift towards environmental artwork. So after Katrina, I was focusing more and more on the landscape, the loss of land. Um, Eventually, that became a focal point. Uh, And I was working with scientists for a while. As you know, I worked on the series, Shifting, and and was looking at all of the conditions that came together in Louisiana that created uh, crises around land loss. But then I started to also broaden that out as I continued to work and looked at climate change because we are, as you know, um, a very low lying area where new land, and it's subsiding due to a lot of the extraction of the land. The waters are rising as the, as the uh, glaciers melt, which means that (laughs) we're getting it from all sides. And, you know, for, for a number of years, I did outdoor installations. I did interactive installations and museums. And um, this round, I'm using magical realism to imagine New Orleans as it's predicted to be in 2050 um, by NOAA, the prediction is that we would be five to six feet underwater. And at first I worked in pools doing this type of photography. But more recently, I started working out in wild settings and bringing some of our wonderful culture with me to go underwater. And as we as we've worked on this series, um, we have conversations around the issues. And these are all people that I admire greatly that are either somehow activists in their own right, doing what they can for clean air, clean water, and more importantly, Um, to lower fossil fuel usage which is is definitely um, pushing us to the brink and Julie Dermansky was someone that I met around the time of the BP oil spill which we were both photographing we became fast friends in uh, 2010 and have been in communication ever since we we just run ideas by each other we're constantly supporting each other because our work is difficult in some ways um, focusing on some of the issues, we translate it differently. So I use the magical realism and she's a rigorous documenter. She stayed with that documentation over the, gosh, as long as I've known her.
0: So so now explain magical realism (laughs) and what a visitor to the gallery can expect to see
2: well um by magical realism obviously we won't we can't breathe underwater but in these photographs it looks as if we've adapted to this um this state of being underwater in a kind of bizarre way where um our bodies have adapted maybe we didn't want to adapt but we had to adapt due to the conditions of of um the uh, you know this this climate change period we're in presently so the series picks up in this liminal zone okay it's like it's informed by the present but it's it's like the not yet zone um and um, the not yet, and the no longer, and the eternal now all at the same time if that makes any sense. But again, with magical realism, it, you know you can do whatever you want. As an artist, I'm like a magician and I can sort of approach this from any direction I want. <laughs> so I'm using, this, this term is actually used in the literary um, circles more and I, I do, I definitely do get informed by um, reading a lot, but this, this is where I picked up the term because I didn't really. It's Rich it, term, magical
0: realism. Magical so realism. It,
2: it's used more frequently in the literary circles, you know.
0: What does liminal mean? Um, it's
2: sort of, uh, it's sort of like interstitial, somewhere in between. It's like not it's not in any particular, um, place. Um, I don't know how to describe, I could, you know, I don't know the exact definition of it, but liminal is, um, is kind of, um,
0: neither here nor there,
2: neither here nor there. Yeah. But, yeah. but uh, you know, the, the idea of course is, um, that, um, For one, this is my way of synthesizing my fears, my anxieties around where climate change is bringing us and the predictions that are happening for us. You know, I I adore New Orleans. I'm born and raised here. I've I've lived in Europe. I've lived in other parts of the country, but this is where I abide. This is my home. So when i try to process some of the things happening and even julie's photographs or even what i've seen with the bp oil spill flying over it these disasters that are apocalyptic in my mind when i think about that and i try to hold that i get so overwhelmed with the fact of what we're doing with this precious precious time that i i need to find a strategy as an artist as a human as a spiritual being to kind of move through it and synthesize it in some kind of translation. And, um, and this is the way I'm doing it.
0: One of the images in your press release uh, by Julie Demansky is um, called Roller Coaster Ride in the Atlantic. And it looks pretty much like a wrecked roller coaster ride in the water uh, I assume it's not really a roller coaster, but that is actually part of one of the um, oil rigs that collapsed or or you tell me what it is
2: um no that's uh, you know i think that that is um it's not an oil rig it's a it's actually um a roller coaster ride
0: It really is a roller coaster ride yeah it's, okay. a, it's in like the they're North, yeah. out in the middle of the water.
2: Well, it's been flooded. You know, there that would have been Hurricane Sandy, I believe. Um, And, yeah, I don't know all the history of that, but it was in the Atlantic. So it would have been knocked off a pier on the Jersey Shore.
0: Uh,
2: So that's in a different region, um, but it's a coastal, you know, it's an area that's um, on the Atlantic.
0: And then you have an image here um, of two people underwater as you said this is the magical realism part mm-hmm. um, called alert and it's it's two people who have what look like fiery flags that are of course trying to um, send a message yeah what's the, the message
2: well you know the message is <laughs> alert, <laughs> tune in, you know, do what you can over there in uh, 2020 um, on the other side of that, of that image, you know, where the viewer is, do what you can now, because this is, you know, this kind of future is, um, it's down the road. Um, the the people in that photograph, uh, there's a man on the right who's named Jacob Reptile Martin, who designed the, costumes that they're wearing. And um, on the left is his partner, Chris Gang, who's an environmentalist. And, um, and, and I guess before coming to New Orleans, Chris was a grassroots organizer in West Virginia's southern coal fields. And um, he supported a community of mutual aid, a mutual aid project for clean water access after a chemical spill there. So he's deeply concerned about the, the irreparable damage that's been done to our climate by resource extraction. And um, now he's here in the Gulf South, helping to shape how we adapt to survive climate change as we as we continue to draw the map, literally, by the decisions we make politically and so forth. Um, so I, like I mentioned, I, I don't know if I mentioned this in, here with you today yet, but the people that I photograph often I admire the work they're doing as well. So their participants, sometimes they approach me. Sometimes I approach them and um, and we have these discussions around what's going on and then we'll photograph we will go underwater together and do these, um, these, you know, semi staged um, underwater photographs.
0: So because I live um, also in this threatened area and uh, my husband um, has been making art on on this subject also for decades in in very different ways from your work, but with the same theme that, um, you know, the cataclysm is coming and you better kind of get on the horn and figure out what you're going to do about it um that's kind of very colloquial way of expressing what he tries to talk about so one of the things that he tries to do is deal with this notion of invisibility so he did some boats that were all blackened painted black so they kind of disappear and but the latest thing he's done are these consumer objects all painted red which he considers again like your guys with their alerts um trying to send a message an alert I, I do. I wonder, I, I, I think that it seems like more of our artists in New Orleans are um, focused on this subject and trying to communicate about it through their creativity and their um, bit, ability to visualize in uh, various ways um, the dangers that they see in our climate uh, changing. Um, would you say that we are more focused on it here and there's more work being done in on this subject by more artists or is that my imagination just because i'm surrounded with people like michelle Varisco yourself and and my husband so
2: well i think i think you're you're definitely in a circle of concerned artists definitely and we're approaching it from different directions and you're Heavily invested in in talking with us about it and understanding it here, but I think there's there's a number of artists around the country, around the world, that are doing environmental work, and it's exciting to see so much focus on it. To be perfectly honest, um, I think when when I I guess there wasn't as many people working on it ten years ago in New Orleans, and I would say that um, when I was studying the the shoreline for instance and trying to create a dis- descriptors through installation and so forth through large panoramic images or um, tableau style images that people that were as big as the people standing in front of them um, the reason I was working so hard on that was I was trying to figure out how to crack, crack this weird nut of like describing things that um, like land loss which was always they always used a an analogy of a football field every day. They use these ridiculous uh, verbal descriptors, and I wanted to come back at that and, and actually describe what land loss looked like in a different way, in a way that people, when they moved through the artwork, the artwork moved with them, so the silk would follow them. I mean, I think artists are always trying to figure out how to um, to crack these nuts, all these different ideas that are too large to wrestle with on an individual basis to change it, but we drop both you, I mean Bob and I both drop like these droplets into water, and there's these you know circles of, that grow larger and larger throughout the community, and I, I really believe that um, the shifting series came out in 2000. It was it was right at right right when the BPL expo was happening a little bit after that so um, that was you know 10 years ago and um, well, I'm I was I'm proud of changing directions towards that and facing down my own fears about what's happening in the environment because I think a lot of awareness is is occurring you know throughout and a lot of young artists have picked up younger artists than Bob and I for sure have picked up, that um, and and run with it. So it's exciting to see all the different translations that are out there.
0: And I think that right now, of course, there's this confluence of of, um, epidemics, not just the medical epidemic of COVID, but the epidemic of fires, the epidemic of tropical storms, the epidemics of um, flooding um that are, are are really hard to escape i've been afraid to call some of my climate denier good friends who are, you know I, I i dared to send an email to my one of my favorite cousins who um has been supporting trump and i and, and after the tax story i I've sent him an email saying so are you still supporting the crook you know? And then we had an email exchange for the rest of the day. Um, and so I'm, af- I'm afraid to call uh, my friends and ask, okay, so you still deny that there's something really scary going on with the climate. Um, how do you gauge the impact of your work? Well, that's
2: a great question. I think that's a great story because when I present work out into the public, I'm trying not to preach to the choir. I'm trying to actually bring in your cousin. I'm trying to bring in my own family that is, I have strains of, of Republicans in my own family as well. I'm trying to bring in the larger population and, and you know, they almost um, unwittingly become invested if they're interested in the work. If they read the statement once they've walked into the show, you know, and they pay attention and they think about what the artist is trying to put together for them on some level, you know, um, like Bob uses humor and cleverness and, uh, and forms that everyone recognizes. He draws in people. I mean, I'm using different techniques, but we're both trying to like, draw them in to then create that engagement. I've done talks and shows in places that were fully Republican and um, surprised as hell that I would be invited to show there, you know? And the audience, when we would do public talks, would actually get engaged and in a way that I found beneficial, like the work made sense if we were having that conversation and there might be some pivot. There might be some deeper thought the most um, I think the thing that works best for any kind of um, society that um, is going to grow and pro and be uh, More for forward thinking is an educated society, the, the, the societies that agree with some of the things that are happening. Um, and don't critique it. I think, are, are not really fully considering it. It's the role of the artist to, to bring things back, to look at, to, to think about. Not that we have the solutions. I'm not going to say that we are scientists, but I, I will say we might use emotion. We might use poetry in some form. We might use other ways of communicating humor. You know, We might use um, anything is, is at our disposal to use as a, as a communication tool. And besides, there's Our one we have to we have to reach out to different audiences, yeah. you
0: know. Um, the the show that we are talking about at the present time, these last days of now, uh, works by yourself, Michelle Varisco, and your partner in the show, Julie Dermansky. Dem- um, is going to be open only through October 4th. What day of the week is that?
2: That's next Sunday. So it's open next Saturday and next Sunday. Coming Sunday? Coming Saturday and Sunday, yeah, exactly. Okay, So
0: everybody, you need to get to the Good Children Gallery, which is at 4037 St. Claude Avenue, not that far away from the bridge over the canal. So that's as to give you a little bit of um, positioning. And um, this is going to be open from 12 to 9. No, 12 to 5. I'm sorry. That's... Oh, it says 9 on here.
2: The, um, opening, the opening was 12 to 9, so we could be oh, open.
0: Oh, oh, I see. Right, yeah. So 12, 12 to 5. And um, I, I mean, I think that um, there's lots of art being shown in the city of New Orleans. All lots of great art. But this this is very provocative, different. And um, I think important for folks to see. So it's easy parking around there. Um, we had a discussion today about another event we did, and we were talking about how we forgot to tell people how easy it is to park. And um, I, I always say I, I'm not going anywhere unless I know where I'm going to park. <laughs> so it's easy to park around there, and um, that, of course, is is a um, a, a, a territory a, 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 a an area of uh, St. Claude Avenue that is replete with cultural events and things happening. And I'm, I'm happy to see you in that particular location. So I urge uh, my listeners and um, to check out not only this show, these last days of now at the Good Children Gallery at 4037 St. Claude, but also to um, follow Michelle's work and Julie's work because um, they're, they're very intentional, they're at it, and they're gonna continue to um, remove the blinders, hopefully from some eyes, and um, make sure that uh, um, you, you pay attention to uh, what is maybe not that easy to see, un- unless it's half of Cal- California burning. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's hard to miss. But um, some of the rest of it, uh, as our, as we have our land loss, as you said, of football fields or where, however you want to characterize the land we're losing, it's important to pay attention. Michelle, thank you for what you do. And please uh, stay in touch and, and um, keep me informed of this and other shows. And um, we will be including uh, Michelle in um, our special section on our website for the Creative Alliance of New Orleans called Artists in View. And we put a new artist up every Friday and she will be uh, the artist whose work will be on view starting this Friday on Artists in View. I can't vouch for what time of the day it goes up because that's out of my control, frankly. I try to control that, but I I don't necessarily, but it'll be up um, this Friday. So that'll be a good place to see it. And then of course you must have a website, right?
2: Yeah, it's just my name, but I'm, my name is spelled M-I-C-H-E-L, after an uncle, Varisco, V-A-R-I-S-C-O,
0: and .com. That's, that's my website. <laughs> okay, check her out, everybody. Thank right. you. Holly, uh, it's not just a matter of appreciating her work, but um, she is trying to uh, send you some messages from the last days of now. Thank you, Michelle.
2: Thank you. Take care. care.
0: So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Some good information, maybe a little fun. And um, I wanted to let you know that we have a newsletter that goes out just in advance of the show. You can sign up for it simply by going to crosstownconvos at gmail.com. And um, it's got a lot more stuff in it, a lot more articles and images and uh, information on the guests who are on. So um, think about it. Sign up if you'd like. Um, Gene Nathan for Crosstown Conversations on WBOK, what people are talking about.